Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, amen. amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation. I might have you mark three different chapters. If you would, put a finger in Revelation chapter 7. And then just a couple pages over, find Revelation chapter 11. And then maybe probably one more page, Revelation 14. Now, uh, we are right in the middle of a series called The Beginning of the End Times. Jesus spoke about this. The apostles wrote about this. And there is a time coming that we are on the doorsteps for where Jesus is going to come back to this earth. He's going to come back to this earth and he's going to take the church out. And then, not too distant future after that, he's going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom for a thousand years on this earth as we know it. Well, one of the things, that, or three of the things that I've been asking you to remember as we went through this series, and the first thing is this, that don't take my word for it, all right? I hope that I say some things, you're like, there ain't no way that's in the Bible. And then you go and you find out that it's in the Bible, all right? And then the second thing is, I want to encourage you to remember that uh, about context. Because it really matters the way that we see things. And the way that we look at it today in 2019 is different than the way that when they were writing books about this in 1980. It's different than when um, their, the early church fathers uh, read and wrote about. Because context changes. And, and the reason is because we're looking at a futuristic view. We're, we're seeing what God has proclaimed but yet, at the same time, we don't see everything, and it probably does, it does, sometimes it doesn't make sense. The way that I would equate this is, uh, do you know how that the Pharisees missed it when Jesus came? Well, there are probably some things about the end times that we may miss when Jesus comes back. But here's what I want to tell you, is hindsight is twenty twenty. As we look back after we've gone through this time, after, as we look back, it's all going to make sense. So things that like, oh my goodness, what kind of creature was that? Uh, when we see it, when we understand it, it's, all, it's, oh, okay, I get it. Now I see where that dragon has seven heads. Okay, so, so that's the second piece. And then the third piece of this that I want you to remember when it comes to uh, looking at this is that we are going to always keep the whole counsel of God. If you want to understand Revelation, you have to understand Genesis up to Revelation. If you want to understand Revelation, you'll have to realize that you need to read verses outside of the book of the Revelation. Because one thing is for certain that everything that is explained in Revelation is either clarified in Revelation or it's clarified in a previous book. He did not leave any mysteries out there that are unsolved. The only difference really is that there are some things that are being described that don't quite make sense to us today. But when it happens, it'll make sense to those who read it in Scripture and, and live through it. 
Last week, I introduced you to uh, two particular individuals that are going to come on the scene, and one was named the Antichrist, and the other was the False Prophet. And these two uh, make up part of what uh, I would call the unholy trinity. In the church, we understand the trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Satan is an imitator. He wants to be God. He wants to do everything that he's seen God do. And, and he really has no uh, new ideals in his head. And so what does he do is he takes what God creates and he just perverts it a little bit. And in this case, he set himself up. So there's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And they create this uh, alliance of the unholy trinity. But if you have your note takers, and I encourage you to, to pull those out. Um, there is at the top of it a, a little bit of a timeline chart. And I want to kind of go through that timeline chart with you right now. So if you're looking at that chart, you'll notice that there, are, uh, there, there was a, what's called the 69 weeks. And, and this has already passed. Matter of fact, it, um, the end of the 69 weeks was when Jesus came on the scene when he rode into Jerusalem on the, the back of a donkey and they proclaimed him uh, king. When they, you, you, you've seen us uh, sing songs about Hosanna. Well, that's when that 69 years ended. And if you read through uh, Daniel chapter 9, he's very clear in that he lays out what those 69 weeks would be and when they would start and when they would end. And it's amazing how that uh, scripture gets it down to the day perfectly correct. Well, um, after you move a little bit further, you see what's called the church age. Now, this is something that the, the prophets didn't see. Daniel didn't know about the church. He knew something was coming, but, he, but it was, I gave you an example of different mountains. And if you're looking at the, from this side of the mountain, you just see the peaks. But in between, there's this valley. And inside one of those valleys is the church. That's where we're living today. This is called the times of the Gentiles. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul spoke about the fullness of the Gentiles. There's coming a day, there's coming a moment where the last person will be saved during the time of the Gentiles. And it will reach what's called the fullness of the Gentiles. And at that point, God the Father is going to tell Jesus to go get his bride. That's the church. It's going to take us out of the world. That's what we call the rapture. And so you see that there on the screen as well. Well, between the time of the rapture, there is going to come another seven-year period, which I explained to you last week is Daniel's 70th weeks. Now, 69 of those weeks have already passed. They, they've been documented in history. We see when they happened. We can give you down to the day. But there's coming a point where there's going to be seven years. It's going to be seven years of 12 months of 30 days for each month. And at the end of that, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth in a bodily form, to rule and reign for a thousand years. But I want you to understand that right now our country, our world is changing. I uh, saw this week, um, I don't know if you uh, know him, but there's a guy by the name of Mario Lopez, and he made a tweet that said that, uh, you know, we shouldn't be determining that three-year-olds are transgender. Well, uh, that did not go over so well. Uh, he was chastised by... Uh, the, the community that's uh, on social media, and, and not everybody, but there was enough of them. And, um, and then I thought about, there's a TV show that I saw, and it, the, the perception of Christians, you know, back in the day, the perception of Christians in the 80s, maybe the 90s, um, were just uh, weird people that, you know, we went to church on Sunday, sometimes twice, 
uh, we did things that, you know, we dressed differently, we spoke differently. Well, uh, I, I saw one, and it was describing Christians. And matter of fact, it was, it was not in a very flattering way. And uh, the way that it described Christians was as hypocrites. And what it talked about was that all that the Christians could do was pray the gay out of people. You know, right now, um, there is a sexual revolution going on in our world. This is no surprise. It hasn't surprised God. Uh, this is, uh, he knew it was coming. Uh, he has a solution for it. Um, and we as Christians... Um, have been given a mandate. In 1 Peter 3, 5, it says this, that it tells us that we are to set Christ apart with honor in our hearts. And what we should be doing is, it says, to always be ready to give a defense of the hope that is within you. And, and listen to this. It tells us how to do it. It says, do it with gentleness and respect. You know, uh, I am unapologetic in the power and the, the word of God. But I tell you that sometimes as Christians, we forget what 1 Peter 3, 5 says and when it says to do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, make no mistake about it, folks. The people that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, they don't have the same worldview as we do. They don't see things the way that we do. You know, we are looking through a worldview through the prism of what the Bible tells us. They don't. They don't see the Bible as God's word. They don't see that uh, this world was created by a creator. They have a lot of different answers to that. But also don't make, make a mistake about this, that the Holy Spirit is working on them. He's dealing with them. And God has brought you across their path for a reason. And so as I, I kind of share this with you, imagine how bad things are going to get when the church is gone. Imagine how bad things are going to get when the Holy Spirit is no longer restraining, which is what Scripture tells us. And that's actually what's going to happen in that 70th week of Daniel. When the church has been gone and the Holy Spirit no longer restrains, the world as we know it is going to change, and it's going to change in a very fast way. But I'm here to tell you that it's not just the, the Antichrist and the false prophet that you need to be thinking about. Um, I want to introduce you to a couple of people that, that God is going to bring on the scene during this 70th week. And the first group is called the 144,000 witnesses. Now, uh, the Bible calls them witnesses, and a, maybe a better term for us in 2019 is 144,000 evangelists. These are uh, men that have been chosen by God, set apart, and they are going to carry forth the message that the Lord has given them. If you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Now you're going to hear me say this a couple of times, and I hope that you understand what I'm saying, and that's this. That things are going to be different in Daniel's 70th week. It's not, you know, things on earth are going to be radically changed from the way that we understand things. Matter of fact, uh, one way to think about this is God has been protecting us from uh, what can happen and will happen. In verse 2, And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And then John writes, And I heard the number of the sealed, 
144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Now, I'm not a math genius, but I'm pretty sure that if you added all those up, it would come to 144,000. And there are a couple of things about these 144,000 evangelists that I want to point out to you today. And the first thing is that they were sealed in their foreheads. Verse 3, it said, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servant of our God. Now, it's interesting. We think, oh, well, what's that seal going to look like? Um, Are we going to be able to see it? I don't know. But I guarantee you that these 144,000 are going to know they got it. Matter of fact, I don't think that any of them will get this against their will. They'll all willingly accept it. 1 Corinthians 15.8, Paul says these words. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know, uh, Paul has given his testimony. You see, Paul was a different apostle. He was called to the Gentiles. He was called to go uh, into all of the world. And it was Paul's message, it's the the different books of the Bible that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that have gone into every corner of the world. You know, and I find it interesting if uh, you remember last week we talked about the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast would either be given as people on their forehead or in their right hand. And I wonder if this isn't Satan one more time trying to imitate what's happened. Imitate what God has done with these 144,000 evangelists. But you see, there's a big difference between these two seals. The the seal that God offers gives protection throughout the tribulation for seven years. The mark of the beast offers protection from the wrath of God unsuccessfully. As you'll find out today and in in the upcoming weeks, that the mark of the beast actually uh, costs them. It will cost them ultimately their life and eternity but it costs them physically when they're on the earth. The second thing about these 144,000 evangelists is that they were strong in their faith. Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5, I'll read those. It says, It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And verse 5, And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. If you look in Matthew 16 and 24 and 25, uh, Jesus talked about taking up our cross and following him. And I think that if we are honest with ourselves, there's been many days where we took up the cross at 6 a.m. in the morning, but by 9 a.m. we set it back down. There may have been many weeks or months in our lives where we've taken the cross and we've abandoned it, we've put it in a closet. But I'm here to tell you that these 144,000 evangelists are not going to be like that. They are going to take up their cross and they're going to carry it for seven years. 
You know, there's a hymn that says, wherever he leads, I'll go. It makes me think of a, a quote that I heard or a statistic, and that is that in the average church, more lies are told every Sunday morning per square inch of the building. And they base that on the hymns that we sing and how that we're really not from the heart. We want them to be. So when a church sings, wherever he leads, I'll go, what's the reality that everybody's singing that really is saying to themselves and to their Savior, wherever he leads, I'll go? You see, we put a comma there or we put a period there and then we, we add to it. Well, except, and then we start filling in a little more to that song. But we'll never ever sing those words out loud and we just stay with wherever he leads, I'll go. That's not going to happen with this group of evangelists. They are going to stay true to their Savior. They are going to proclaim His message no matter what cost, no matter what circumstance that they find themselves in. And not only were they strong in their faith, ladies and gentlemen, but you're going to find out that these evangelists are steadfast in their message. In verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 14, let me read those to you. And it says this, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. My friends, that is the message that these 144,000 evangelists are going to take throughout the world. Fear God and give Him glory. And it makes no mistake about who this is. It is the creator of the earth. You know, if you get into a theological discussion, uh, the way that people will, the question is, well, did God really make the earth? Did He do it the way that He said in Genesis chapter 1? And scientists will uh, try to uh, use some of their uh, language and jargon and tell you that it's impossible. It couldn't have happened that way. But I'm here to tell you that we serve a God who specializes in miracles. And and one of the things that I have learned is that there there are times where I won't understand what something says in Scripture, but I can tell you this, that through faith, I can receive it. Through faith, I can believe it. And then what's interesting is science ultimately confirms what Scripture says. And I would just encourage you that uh, when you start looking at Scripture, don't be afraid when you hear naysayers. Don't be afraid when you hear somebody who has degrees behind their name tell you that it's, it's, it can't be true. Because what you will find out when you wait long enough, that there are scientists will prove it and prove it exactly as it was in Scripture. Well, not only will these 144,000 evangelists uh, be uh, steadfast in the message, but I want you to understand that they are going to be secure in this time of the tribulation. I call it Daniel's 70th week. You've refer- heard it referred to as the tribulation. But here's the, the truth. At the end of the tribulation, there will still be 144,000. In verse 14 of that same very chapter, and then I looked and behold, a white cloud and on the cloud was one like the Son of Man. And with him... 144,000 who had his name and his father's name. And it showed him standing on Mount Zion. You see, these 144,000 evangelists are going to be here at the beginning of the tribulation. And when Christ comes back, they will stand on Mount Zion with him. So what that tells me is that they will be successful in their ministry. 
It says, uh, what is the ministry that these men have? Well, 14 verse 6 tells us that they are to proclaim the gospel to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and every child and every tongue. If you go over to Matthew 24, you'll hear Jesus talk about their um, ministry in verse 14. Let me read that to you. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. These 144,000 witnesses, they are going to be inspired by God. They are going to go to every corner of the earth. They will proclaim the message of the gospel. And when their mission is done, and I think it's going to take them about seven years, they're going to rally back at Mount Zion and be there when Jesus Christ comes back. In Revelation 11 and verse 9, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. In verse 10, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. Listen to me in verse 12. Saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In verse 13 it says this, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And this is John saying in verse 14, I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those that are going to uh, be saved during the tribulation time as a result of the work of the 144,000 evangelists that spread throughout to every corner, to every tribe, to every nation. And what I want you to understand is, um, for the first three and a half years of what we call the tribulation, it will be a time of relative peace. There will be some natural disasters, but that's the time that the Antichrist is going to come on with the false prophet and rally the world around him. And then the last three and a half years, what Jesus called the great tribulation is when the harvest is going to happen. And scripture tells us that the number is, is incredible about those that will be saved during the tribulation. And I want to just give you a word of encouragement when you read this, and that is, don't stop praying for your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. Don't stop praying for them. You know, it may be easy as you watch these evangelists work for three and a half years, and many people aren't maybe not responding to their message. But when God starts showing himself on this earth, you'll find out that they'll remember the words of the evangelist. And based on Scripture itself, it tells us that there's an untold number that will, as a result of that, find themselves spending eternity in heaven. Well, you know, Jesus doesn't just reveal that there's going to be 144,000 witnesses in the last seven years. But he also talks about two witnesses. If you would turn over to Revelation chapter 11, and let me just read a couple verses to you about these two witnesses. It says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. 
But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And in case you're wondering what that is, in verse 3 it says, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. You'll find out that that equals to 42 months. Verse 4 says, These are the two olive branches, or olive trees, and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, what I would like to do is just kind of walk you through these guys, and I want to share a couple of things. And the first thing I want to share is the personality of who these two men may or may not be. Now, if you talk to anyone who studies eschatology, um, rapidly they could narrow down who they think two of these guys are. All right, and I think without question that you will find that Elijah is one of these that, will, that God will supernaturally bring back to this earth and allow him to have a ministry and finish his ministry. Because if you know anything about Elijah, he did not finish what he had started. Matter of fact, when John the Baptist came on the scene and they approached him, they asked him, are you Elijah? Well, he said, no, I'm not. And they said, are you Moses? He says, I'm not Moses either. And then he asked, well, are you the Messiah? He says, no. He says, I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes. And so I believe that it's uh, with confidence that we can say that one of these two witnesses will be Elijah in the flesh, in person, with a ministry for 1,260 days. Now, um, this is where it kind of gets a little bit different. And if you uh, talk to different theologians, they'll give you a different answer. You talk to people who study, you'll find something else. And um, so many believe that the second person will be Moses. And the uh, evidence that we find in Scripture is um, if you read about the, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus went up with uh, John and James and um, Peter and Elijah and Moses appeared there talking with Jesus. And now this is very close to the time that Jesus is going to be killed and crucified and then rise again. Here's something to think about, and I hope that you'll go and find out about it. But if you look, the scripture tells us that when the ladies got to the tomb early in the morning, that there were two men sitting there. It didn't say two angels. Go back and read it again. Uh, Many uh, theologians believe that this could have been the same two men from the Mount of Transfiguration. We have no evidence for either or against, but it certainly would make sense. I personally believe that the second witness is going to be Enoch. The scripture tells us that uh, Enoch was and the Lord took him. Uh, I believe that uh, Hebrews tells us that all of us are appointed to die. Now, I also absolutely understand that there are a lot of people who um, went against the norm. There was a guy by the name of Lazarus who didn't die just once. There was, uh, if you look at Elijah, there was a young, uh, the widow's son who was brought back to life. You'll hear about uh, the centurion and his daughter who was brought back to life. There's nine different people throughout Scripture who lived a second life and ultimately died a second death. But I think that uh, the key for me is when I, I look at Enoch is Jesus said that it will be as in the days of Noah. You know, I don't think that we understand. Remember I told you things are going to be a little different? I don't think that we understand what the days of Noah were like. The days of Noah were so bad that God had to destroy the entire earth, all except eight people. 
And I believe that there was a guy that walked with God during that time when all of that was happening. And he will understand that better than anyone else. And he will be partnered with Elijah and they will, for 1,260 days, be on mission. What is their mission? Well, their mission is to prophesy. But you know, it's not a message, a good message of prophecy. It's a, it's a message of repentance. The Bible tells us that they'll be clothed in sackcloth for the entire 1,260 days. Matter of fact, uh, you're going to find out that people don't like them. And here's what the, the scripture tells us. That uh, not only will they prophesy, but they will have some powers. One of the powers they will have is, is that of death. They will be able to kill people. In verse 5, in Revelation chapter 11, it says, And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. It's interesting that uh, when we think about that, we immediately visualize you know, fire coming from their mouth. Um, I don't think that that's actually what's going to happen. I think that what you're going to see is that uh, they are going to call down fire from heaven. Now, if they, it comes out of their mouth, I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I, I stand corrected. Uh, but I believe that really what you, you're hearing is that, that they are going to have the power to call down fire from heaven. Uh, why would I say that? Well, if you'll turn over to 2 Kings chapter 1, let me give you an example because Elijah did this very thing. In 2 Kings chapter 1, it says, And after the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in the upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So uh, Ahab is dead. His son takes over. His son has been on the throne almost a year right now when this happens. In verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? In verse 9, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. You shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers, I'm sorry, in verse um, Before they get this, the messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, It is because there is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, What kind of man was this who came to meet you and told you of these things? And they answered, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. I don't think he said that in a good way. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. In verse 10, but Elijah answered the captain of the 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Verse 11, again the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. How'd you like to be that guy? And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly now you realize that there's 50 carcasses laying pretty close to where he's standing 
In verse 12, but Elijah answered, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Verse 13, this king is uh, persistent. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty, and the third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty, men with their fifties, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. I told you things are going to be different in Daniel's 70th week. And these two witnesses are going to have the power to be able to call down fire from heaven and kill those, I believe, that are going to mock God, going to question who God is. Not only will they have the power of death, but Revelation 11:6 tells us that they have the power of drought. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. If you go back and you study Elijah, you'll understand that he had it stop rain for three and a half years. Uh, he's getting good at this. And he's going to come back and you're going to find out that for three and a half years, it's not going to rain again at his word. Not only do they have the power of death and the power of drought, but they're also going to have a power over plagues. In verse 6 in uh, Revelation, it says, And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now, I'll be the first to admit to you that this is one of the things that people will point and say, well, it's, that's Moses because that's what he did before. It may very well be Moses. But I think that whoever God selects to be his witnesses and he gives them uh, the ability and the, to do these miracles. And, and, you know, think about this. That blood and water, it's not just the color that makes them different. It's a completely different chemical compound. When Jesus uh, turned the water into the wine, it's a totally different chemical compound. Be careful when you question, can God do these things? The God that could speak this earth into being in such a magnificent way has the ability to speak to these miracles. If you look in Revelation uh, chapter 8, let me just read verses 8 and 9 to you. Uh, I think that what you're seeing here is these two witnesses at work. And in verse 8, it says, The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Verse 9, And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. You know, it's funny to watch. Uh, not funny. It's interesting to watch. Whereas there's an oil spill, how crazy the world can get over that. And yet one day, one-third of the waters are going to be turned to blood. It's going to change everything. Another thing about these two witnesses is that they are going to be persecuted. Revelation eleven seven says that the Antichrist will ultimately kill them. Let me read it to you. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, that's the Antichrist, will make war on them and conquer and kill them. I believe that this is going to happen at the midway point of the tribulation, and then after that, you're going to have what's called the Great Tribulation. I believe that these two witnesses are going to be preaching for three and a half years. I think that their ministry is going to be in Jerusalem. I think that there are going to be cameras covering everything that they're doing. I mean, think about this. If you were CNN or any of those other, if you saw, heard about somebody speaking, somebody fire from heaven came down and destroyed and killed people, 
you'd follow them with cameramen. And that's what's going to happen. But it's that same desire to see that miraculous happen. You're going to see the world hear the message of their testimony. They're going to hear the message that they preach again and again and again. And so for 1,260 days, the world is going to hate these two men. But while the world hates them, the Jewish people are going to start seeing that these... And, and it's interesting that God sends two. And here's why I believe, is that in the Jewish tradition, that in a court of law before two witnesses... So when a guy says, I'm Elijah, no, you're not. No, no, I'm Elijah. You know, crispy critters over there. And the other guy says, I'm Enoch or I'm Moses. Like, no, you're not. In the mouth of two witnesses, it'll be confirmed. And so these two witnesses for 1,260 days are going to proclaim. They are going to preach the message that God has put into their heart. And then the Antichrist is going to kill them. And this is the time where we can see technology. Could you imagine reading this scripture? And it says this in verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt. Where their Lord was crucified. We know this was Jerusalem. Verse 9. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and the tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb. You see, they're going to be dishonored. This world is going to hate them so much because of the message of repentance that they're preaching, and it's a message that they don't want to hear and they don't want to listen to. Remember, I told you things are going to be different. The persecution that we think we experience here in America is nothing. The persecution that around the world in North Korea that they are experiencing around is nothing compared to what's coming. Because today, at least we have the Holy Spirit that is holding back Satan and what Satan wants to do. It's going to change. And I like to tell you, Revelation 11.10 tells us that Amazon is still going to be around because there's going to be an Amazon Prime Day. And verse 10, if you'll read with me. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Now, I don't know about you, but the only way you're going to get a present to somebody within three and a half days is Amazon. So I think that, that, that Amazon, your business model, it's, 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 it's sound. Because these two prophets, listen to this, had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Now, folks, I hope you're putting the puzzle together. I shared with you last week that this, this phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is used all throughout Revelation. This is referring to those who will never ever accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. For those who align themselves with the Antichrist. For those who align themselves against the God of heaven. And, but, but let me just give you the message, folks. Just when it looks like things are falling apart in your life and in the lives of these prophets, you're going to realize that they are falling into place. You see, it's all about context. If you listen to the people who lived during that time, they hated these guys because they, the words that they spoke tormented the life that they were living Follow me, and let's see the preservation that God has for these two witnesses in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God. Now, I want you to understand, there's something about that. 
Because you are going to find out that there are things that are going to be brought to life throughout the seven years of the tribulation, throughout the seven years of Daniel's 70th week. But the Bible makes it very clear that the, the, the breath of life came from God. And it entered them. And they stood up on their feet. And listen, great fear fell on those who saw them. I would encourage you, if you haven't joined us on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., to join us this Tuesday. It's in the note, t- or I'm sorry, it's in the uh, upcoming events. The address is there, 7 p.m. I'm going to be talking about the supernatural that I believe that will be experienced during this uh, Daniel's 70th week. But God uh, brings them back to life in verse 12, and, and we get to see the rapture. The world will see the rapture of these two witnesses. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Do you all recall hearing that? Back in Revelation 4 verse 1 when John, and I shared with you I believe that one day when God tells Jesus, go get your bride, that Jesus will appear to those of us who have received him as their Savior. There's going to be a trumpet sound. And when the final trumpet is finished, all of those that have been dead in Christ, no matter how their body has dissolved, will be brought back together. And we, in the twinkling of an eye, because right before the twinkling of an eye happens, we're going to hear, I believe, the archangel say, Ronnie, come up here. I hope that your name is called out too. And because of these men, because of the three and a half years of their ministry, listen to this. Revelation eleven thirteen. Their, their, their experience is a revival among the Jewish people. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. You see, they didn't want to admit that these men had come from the God of heaven. They didn't want to admit that their story was true. They didn't want to admit that they needed to repent in their lives. But you know, it's something when you see somebody lay dead for three and a half days and the breath of life come back into them. And not just that, but then I believe at that point, everyone is going to hear the come up here and then watch them go to heaven. At that point, there's going to be a lot of people who realize they were wrong. At that point, the nation of Israel is going to realize they missed the Messiah. And I think that at this, uh, the, the day that they are killed, I believe, is the same day that the, the Antichrist will uh, go into the Holy of Holies and he will proclaim himself to be God. And the false prophet is going to come in and there's going to be an uh, idol or a statue of the Antichrist and he's going to speak and that idol is going to have life come into it. And while everybody is celebrating in Jerusalem about the new savior of the world, for one day they're going to celebrate. For two days they're going to celebrate and start receiving gifts. Three days they're going to continue to celebrate. And sometime on the fourth day, God's going to raise them up and bring them back to heaven. And in that same hour, he is going to cause an earthquake to happen in Jerusalem where 7,000 of those gathered to celebrate are going to be killed. And if you, if you follow any of what happens, Jesus told the Jewish people that when the abomination of desolation happens, don't go back to your home, flee Jerusalem because bad things are about to happen. 
And I'll share with you what happens to the nation of Israel maybe next week or the week after. But let me close with this. Folks, we have to answer the question, and that is we need to make sure of our salvation. We need to know that we are ready. You know, I put a little graphic I saw on a bumper sticker, and if if you're wondering, what in the world does that thing say? It says, are you, and then it's a red E. Yeah, mind blown, huh? My mind was blown 20 years ago when I found that as a bumper sticker. You know, as cute as that is as a bumper sticker, it is one of the most important questions only you can answer. And that is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to come back? You know, the question I have, and and maybe it's not to you specifically, and maybe it is, but why is it that so many are willing to die for Christ? If somebody walked into this room now with guns and held us hostage and, and said that if you don't recant the name of Christ, you'll die, we would die right here in this room. But the very same people who would take a bullet and would die for Christ, we fail to live for him on a daily basis. You see, we fail to do what those 144,000 witnesses did. and We fail to take up our cross daily. Ladies and gentlemen, the time is running out on us. We live at a time we are not just because time has uh, gotten further along, but we live at a time where we are closer to the return of Christ than we've ever been. Let me just share with you two verses in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says this, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And I think this goes hand in hand with Ephesians 5.16 that tells us to redeem the time because the days are evil. Church, I've been encouraging you and I've been challenging you and I'm telling you today, we need to be redeeming the time. What does redeeming the time look like? Folks, there's some relationships in your lives that you need to redeem. Your power, your word as a Christian is fruitless in their lives because of what they've seen you live. You need to restore that. It's going to take humility on our part. But if we won't, are, won't be willing to humble ourselves enough for our friends, our relatives, our associates, and our neighbors, who will we humble ourselves for? Maybe it's not relationships that you need to redeem. Maybe it's your testimony that you need to redeem. You know, the Bible tells us these 144,000 witnesses were blameless. Folks, I cannot stand up here before you and tell you that I'm blameless. I've made a lot of bad decisions. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I don't think I'm alone. Let's hear the words of Paul. Let's redeem our testimonies. In verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us this, knowing what the will of the Lord is. See, we need to redeem the purpose in our lives. Every one of you here that can hear my voice, God has a purpose for your life. God has called you. 
If you don't know what it is, you need to find out. And if you do know what it is, you need to start doing it. Because the time is short. Yesterday we were driving back from Arkansas and, and, and we got on 64 and we're, we're just 17 miles from the Centralia exit. And we come up on a traffic jam and on a Saturday afternoon it kind of bugged me and I'm like, ah, Waze didn't help me out and I noticed I didn't have her on so she couldn't redirect me. So we had a wait in line and we just slowly went by and then we came upon the accident. And here was an SUV that had rolled over. And all I could think of was that that wasn't us. All I could think of was we had just came up from Arkansas with our uh, son and daughter-in-law, both of them, and our grandkids, and that it wasn't their vehicle. But folks, I'm here to tell you that it could have been any of us. You see, the, the, these two witnesses, they've been given 1,260 days. And when their, their message was done, when their ministry was over, the enemy was going to take them out. Folks, I don't know what your number is. But I know when God's finished, he's going to take you out. Redeem the time. We don't have a lot of time. Your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, they need you to take your calling, to take your testimony, to take your life seriously. Folks, I'm okay with people making fun of us as Christians. It's only going to get worse. I'm okay with all of that comes with that. Because if it helps one or 100 spend eternity in heaven it's worth it I just leave you with this question what are you okay with who are you okay with letting go spend eternity not in heaven spend eternity separated from God because we wouldn't live out the calling of God on our life as a church it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.